0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission and purpose to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message from today is from our brand new sermon series from Pastor Paul titled, I Am. In this collection of sermons from the Gospel of John, we will be studying the I Am's of Jesus that reveal His character and sufficiency for the human soul. These declarations of Jesus unquestionably prove that He and the Father are one. And this can give us hope, purpose, and a strong desire to know Him more. So here's Pastor Paul, and we hope the message inspires and encourages you today. I went and I headed to
1: a laser eye clinic to get my eyes lasered. about four years ago. And, uh, it was a really, really interesting experience for me. And to be honest with you, it's probably one of the most nerve-wracking experiences of my life. Um, there is probably nothing that I've experienced like laying on a bed or a, on, a, on a gurney, I don't know, in a, in a room with my feet up on a pillow, which was kind of a weird, a weird thing, my feet up on a pillow, and hearing and smelling my cornea being burned uh, From a laser, (laughs) reshaping my cornea with a laser. Yes, there was noise, and yes, there was smells. It was a very interesting experience. Now, it it was something I always wanted to do. I had glasses since I was six years old. Uh, In fact, Noelle just showed up today with glasses, her first pair of glasses, and she's seven, and I got my first pair when I was six. I had glasses my whole life, I wore contacts forever. And uh, it was something, though, I'd always wanted to do, was always get my eyes lasered. uh, But I gotta tell you, that day as I signed waivers absolving the company of my sight, basically, if I went blind during the procedure, as I absolved them of that, as I signed those, I was second-guessing myself, I gotta tell you. I was thinking things like, you know what? Wearing contacts isn't that bad. <laughs> you know what? Uh, buying glasses every other year, that's not so bad when I'm signing paperwork that basically gives them uh, or frees them from any, any reasons uh, or any, any uh, issues if I would go blind during it. Um, and, and the reason that it really Uh, impacted me at that point is because for the first time in my life, I was confronted with the reality. I was asking myself the question, like, what would my life look like if I couldn't see? What would my life be like if I uh, was unable to see the kids in my faces anymore or to see my wife or a sunset or, you know, all of those things were running through my mind at that time. What would my life be like? I was confronted with possibly losing the ability to see. And it was a a fear that kind of came over me at that time. Now, I got to tell you, I'm really glad I did it. One of the best decisions of my life that I ever made uh, was to get it. And my vision's fantastic. And I, I love all of that. But at that moment, I was forced to consider, okay, how important is sight to me? How important is, is that aspect? And I was confronted with losing the ability to see. And for us today, I think it's hard to imagine, isn't it? For those of you, I don't know anyone in here that's blind necessarily. Maybe some of you are struggling to see or you definitely need glasses. But the thought of actually losing your sight completely, going totally blind, is, is really, it's foreign to us. It's hard to imagine, Yet yeah, we know uh, in, in Canada, there's about a million people they figure that have uh, real, are considered legally blind in the country. And there's a lot of people that do struggle with that. And today in our passage, we're going to be introduced to a man whose entire life was that way. From the moment he was born and until the events that we cover today, uh, he was completely blind, completely and totally in darkness, had never seen light at all whatsoever, now in our passage in John chapter 9, we're going to see Jesus give to this man an incredible gift. He's going to give to him the gift of sight. In case just spoiler alert, that's what's going to happen. He's going to give him the gift of sight. And at the same time, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to illustrate to us the reality of spiritual blindness and how much we need Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the light of the world. Now, to fully understand this miracle, we need to look back at the previous chapter in John chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. I'm going to read verse 12 here in just a moment. Um, but to really understand what was going on, we, we know that Jesus was involved in several confrontations during one of the feasts, the traditional feasts. Now, you know, uh, Israel, there was a lot of feasts all of the time. There was these festivals happening and uh, I, I look at them and I'm like, man, those would be great, right? Every couple of months, you have a week-long festival. And uh, the, the one that we're covering here in John chapter 8, actually, it's really from John 6 all the way through uh, John chapter eight and into John chapter nine was something called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was also called uh, the Festival of Shelters. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was the final ritual feast of the year. It went on for about a week. It was in October and it followed the harvest. So the, the harvest season is when it came. And for many people, they would go to Jerusalem at that time and they would spend the entire, almost the entirety of that feast in a tent is what they would do. And so they would build tents all around Jerusalem. And the travelers, uh, travelers would come in, they would eat outside and they would build these booths and they had some specific instructions as to how to build them. By the way, they still do this today in Israel and they build these booths and they, they remember this time and it was, uh, the reason they built the booths was to remind them of their time living in tents in the wilderness. You remember that time as they left Egypt, the time that they spent wandering, they were in tents. And so it was to also remind them of that. It was after the harvest so they are to thank God for his provision, but then remember where they came came from that 's always a good thing to do. thank God for his provision, but remember where you came from and then as well, uh, there were some really unique things that that happened during that feast day. One of the things that was so interesting is that during the last night of the feast um, and some people would feel that maybe throughout the whole feast they would do this, but definitely on the last night, they would light these lamps on the temple mount way up in the temple courtyards, and they would light these just massive good this before electricity we know this they would make these huge uh, candles or huge uh, Pyres of fire, and they would raise them up in the air. So it was like a lantern, and literally, they could create so much light that they say that most of Jerusalem could see it, and it would also provide light for that whole temple area. And the reason was, is because on that final night, all of the people would gather, they would celebrate, they would stay up thanking God, they would, uh, they had these massive, like, coordinated dances with, with men holding these uh, fire pyres, and they would, they would, uh, they would go around, and, and it would create all this light, and they would stay up all night long celebrating and praising God and thanking him under the glow of those lanterns. And so it was during this time, during this feast of joy and this time of celebration that Jesus stood before the people and he declared himself to be the light of the world. In John 8 verse 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of the of life. Now, what is Jesus claiming here? Jesus here is claiming in that moment, he is claiming to be the light of the world. That is, that is for everybody, not just the Jewish nation, but he is the light for the entire world. He is the one true light. Now, as Christians today, we understand that death brings, of course, eternal darkness, And so as Christ followers, we know that because we have the light within us, because we know Christ and we follow him, uh, we do not stumble through the darkness of this world. We do not even struggle to see uh, God in, as Jonah mentioned, we don't struggle to see God in our situations and our circumstances because we have that light. We don't uh, walk blindly. We know from other scriptures that because of the light, we don't stumble uh, through life in our sin. We don't walk blindly in sin. Rather, God's light reveals our sin to us so that we can live free from it And, and and receive his forgiveness and ask God for his guidance, of course. But for those people in that day, as the lights there are, are shining, which I, I forgot to mention the lights that they would put were to represent God's guiding light by night and the pillar of cloud by day. So this had real significance. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, first of all, he uses I am, which that was a kind of a trigger word, right? And then remember the night before, there were these huge lights representing God Almighty. When God says, I am the light of the world, I am the one that you should follow. I am the one that you should uh, gu- allow to guide your life. It was a huge, huge statement. It was groundbreaking. And he was connecting himself, of course, to God as well. So this was a big time for Jesus, Uh, he finally was able to begin to reveal himself. And this was just another revealing statement that he gave. And then what we see as we continue into John chapter nine, he makes this great statement about who he is. And of course, I I love how he says there, uh, he that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That talks about a real change, a real direction right now in the here and now. But then as we move into chapter nine, Jesus then backs up his statement. This is what he's doing here. He's backing it up. You know, you ever have somebody tell you they can do something and you're like, all right, back it up. I can dunk. All right, let's see it, Tim, you know, uh, <laughs> or whatever, whatever it may be. You know, I can do this thing. I, 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 you know, sometimes I tell people I can dunk, but I always add now I say I used to be able to dunk. I say that I, not anymore. I can't anymore. But uh, sometimes you've had maybe someone say this and you're like, well, prove it. Well, that's what Jesus is about to do here. He's made this statement. He says, I am the light of the world. And he backs it up and reveals his power by removing the darkness and literally giving light to a blind man. And it's a perfect illustration for us how faith in Jesus Christ can remove the darkness and give light and give truth to the soul. Now we begin the story in verse number one of John chapter nine. We're gonna cover the whole chapter together. so I hope that you'll stay with me. We're just gonna sort of walk through it together and learn together. It says in verse number one, and as Jesus passed by, so this is literally left the temple, he left the area, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, "Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind?" Now this is really interesting. So Jesus is just walking along here, he he notices and he sees this man who was blind. And then his disciples ask him the question, "Who sinned, Lord? Who who sinned? This guy, did he sin or did his parents?" Now Uh, it's described here that, right in verse number one, that this was a man who was blind from his birth. We don't know how they knew that. Obviously, Jesus is all-knowing. Maybe he said that to his disciples. Hey guys, you see him over there? He's been blind since he was born. Maybe it was part of his cry as a beggar. If you were blind in this society, really the only option you had to provide for yourself and maybe uh, other family members was to be a beggar. And so he would have been there in the temple area and maybe as he cried out, he said that. He said, hey, I've been blind (laughs) since I was born. Uh, You gotta help me out here. And maybe that's what it was, but either way, way we know he was born uh, blind from birth. Uh, It's interesting. There's not a few, there's not very many uh, instances in scripture where it reveals to us somebody having an issue from the very beginning. Sometimes it references an accident or something that happened to them that that caused it. But here he was blind from birth. And then the disciples make this judgment upon the man. Did you see that? They see him and they say, hey, who sinned? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin? That causes. Now this was a, to us, we're like, how dare, that's, so, that's oh, so unkind, you know? Like if you see somebody in a wheelchair, be like, that guy did something bad. And that's basically what the equivalent of it is. And, uh, and how dare they say that? But this was very common in that day. Very, very common within the Jewish legalistic faith. Now I'm gonna say that word a couple of times here, the legalistic faith. You might be thinking, what do you mean by legalistic? Well, here's what legalism is. Legalism is trying to add a person's works in order to gain the favor of God. In a Christian sense, we would say, it's adding good works or a person's righteousness to what Christ already did for us on the cross, which we say, well, that can't be done. But for the Jews, this is this really where they were at at this point. Their faith in God had all of these 613 laws that they followed, that they added, in order to prove to themselves and each other and God that they were indeed righteous. And it, it, was, it was wrong in, in, in itself, and it had really creeped in. And so here, uh, the way that they were looking at it is that, well, if this guy has, is blind, then he must have done something to cause this to come into his life. I mean, it's a, the it's a perfect example of, of legalism. I'll explain it this way. Um, the way they viewed it is that I can please God or I can be blessed by my good works. That's how they viewed it. So a way to look at it is this. If I can earn God's favor by doing good works, then the more good works I do, then God is indebted to me and God's going to do more good things for me. That was kind of their, their mindset. He'll reward me with blessings because I'm so good. But if something bad happens, <laughs> it's because I did something bad. And so they equate the, the issues of life or the aspects of life. That's why people who are rich and was like, oh, wow, they got the blessings of God on their life, right? And, and that, that is in a lot of different cultures as well, but it was a very common view. So the disciples concluded, because this man was blind, then there must have been something he or his parents did, probably his parents, because he'd been blind since birth. It was probably his parents' fault. That is textbook legalism. Now, I mention that because legalism is something that can creep into our lives as well, even today as saved, born again uh, Christians. Even though we know that we're saved by grace and not of works, it does find a way to creep into our lives sometimes. Maybe you've been through a difficult season in your life. Uh, Maybe right now you're going through a trial, a a hard, a hard thing. And and your first thought is this, God, how can you let this happen to me? Don't you know, God, how good I've been? (laughs) Don't you know, God, uh, all of these good things I've been doing? Don't you see, God, I've made so many changes in my life. I used to be, so now I'm doing so good. And how could this bad thing happen? And then your mind races to all the sin you've done over the last few weeks and you're like trying to connect it. Okay, this happened. So, oh man, that lustful thought I had, this must be the reason that I'm going through this right now. Or, oh, I told my coworker off and I told my, you know, I told my my mom to shut up, which you should never tell your mom to shut up. All right. You know, you said something, I did this. And then we try to connect the dots, right? Like, okay, I'm being punished right now because of that thing that I did. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a legalistic mindset because what are you doing there? You're, you're equating your status, you're equating your earthly status with how good or not good you are. You're trying to make your righteousness as the key aspect of your life, how, how you are doing what you are doing. And, and so we have to be very, very careful about that. And, and Jesus didn't have any time for it. So look at verse number three there. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, neither hath, hath man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So right away, he just says, no, 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 no. This is, this is not the situation at all. This is not about what, uh, what, what his parents did, not about this guy. This physical disability was not because of anybody's sin. By the way, any physical disability, any difficulty in someone's life, uh, while God does allow chastening to come into a person's life, we know that our first assumption should not be they are a very bad person. That's why this happened to them. I'll tell you what. Physical disabilities, birth defects, some of these tragedies that we see in, li- in our life certainly are reminders to us um, that we are in a fallen world. God created a perfect world. Mankind, we messed it up. Because of sin, we began to die, our bodies began to decay, and we have all of these issues because of that. But here, I want you to notice the second part of the verse. It says, it wasn't because of sin, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, this is interesting. God here says that he's going to redeem this man's disability. He's saying that this has happened in his life. This, this thing has happened, yes, but I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to allow God to be made manifest. That means to be revealed now in what, he's, what is happening. That's a great thought for us as Christians. You know, oftentimes we go through difficulty and struggles. We have hard things that happen. But yet, even though maybe it's not our fault, maybe it's because of just the fallenness of this world or our own sinful nature, God can actually redeem those things. He can make good things out of them. And that's what he's going to do. So God clears up the improper view. He says, okay, guys, this is, this is not the right view. And then he reminds his disciples about why he is there. Look at verse number four. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There it is again. He repeats himself. He says, there's a, lot, there's a lot that's going on here. He's very clear though to them. He's saying that, listen, I came to this earth to do the work of him who sent me. Again, that's a reminder that God, that Jesus was sent. He understood that everything that was about to happen was part of God's will for his life. This entire scenario here, Well, so that Jesus could be revealed for who he is. And that's why he kind of puts that extra uh, exclamation on there. He says, I am the light of the world. God is going to do a work through me. This is a part of what God has called me to do. You know, sometimes in life, we look at situations and our circumstances, we say, this isn't how I planned it. This isn't what I thought things should be. But yet, rather than looking at it that way, we need to look at it like Jesus did. He says, okay, this situation, this whole scenario here is so that the work that God has called me to do, the thing that God wants me to do can be revealed in this person, in this situation, in this life or in my own life. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, I'm gonna do the work. And, and, uh, and, and, he, and he also, I want you to notice the urgency. He says, night cometh where no man can work. There's just an element of urgency to the will of God in Jesus. He's always like, I gotta, I gotta get this done because I'm not always going to be here. Then we come to verse number six and seven. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Now this is so great. You know, Jesus displays his glory here by healing this man. Now, this is interesting. He doesn't touch his eyes like he did in other instances. He doesn't speak, you know, the healing onto him. He does something completely different in a totally different way. And he spits in the ground. This is, yeah, it's weird, okay? He spits in the ground. He mixes up the dirt and his spit. And then he places it on the guy's eyes. He makes it sort of, a sub, and he puts it on the eyes. Now to us, we're like, that's gross. But hey, the guy was blind. He didn't know what he was doing, right? Okay, so <laughs> don't worry about it. He was fine. And he puts this on his eyes and he says, I want you to go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Interesting. He just said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Just you know, a little connection there. And he says, I want you to go to this pool and I want you to wash it off. It's interesting. The waters of Siloam are mentioned in Isaiah 8, verse 6. I'll just kind of give you a little just rundown of it. In Isaiah 8, 6, uh, it contains a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And in the prophecy, what happens is that God warns the Israelites of impending judgment because they refuse the waters of Siloam. They use the term Shiloah, which is the Hebrew name for Siloam that God provided. Now, this is interesting. They had judgment come to them because they refused the, the waters, Now, Jesus says to this guy, I want you to go and wash your eyes in the waters. The question is, is is he going to do the same thing? Is he going to be like Israel and actually resist it and receive judgment? Or is he going to obey? We'll see the answer here uh, in a minute. Well, we see it right away. He obeys and he goes and he is miraculously healed. Look at verse number seven. Uh, Again, he says, he went his way, therefore, and he washed and he came seeing So he obeyed him, he went, he washed his eyes and I don't know how it happened, but as he washed that mud and that dirt for the first time in his life, this man was able to see. Not because of the mud. (laughs) It's interesting, somebody asked like, why is it that Jesus used different methods of healing all throughout scripture? And the reason is because he didn't want the people to think that it's just because of a method. Right? Not just because, oh, and then people try to reproduce that. You know, oh, if I spit in the dirt and make some mud, I can heal whatever I want and put it all over. Or if I speak or if I whatever, or if I touch somebody in the eyes and say, he used all sorts of different things, making it prove to us it's not about the method, it's about the man, it's about Jesus Christ, it's about his power. And that's what we see here. This man is healed by the power, not the pool of Siloam, not because of the saliva and mud combo, but because of the power of Jesus Christ. This blind man, blind since his birth, can now see. Well, this made some impact in the community. And we're going to see that over the next few verses. Look at verse number eight. It says, The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Okay. Uh, quick translation. I think that's the guy who was always begging over there who was blind. They said, I don't know. He kind of looks like him a little bit. He's like, Yeah, it's me. Uh, it is me. Verse 10. Therefore, these are the neighbors. So these are all the people around him. Uh, Therefore said they unto him, how were thy eyes open? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? And he said, I, I know not. Jesus didn't go with him. He just said, go to the pool, go find it. He, he said, I don't know where this guy is. Now the neighbors, they didn't know what to make of it. Uh, they, they didn't really know what to think at this point. And they asked him, well, where is this guy? You know, you're telling us this story. Where is he? I don't know where he is. And so the neighbors, the people, maybe some of his family then did what any good Jew would do at that time when a miracle happened. They decided, well, let's take him to the Pharisees. Let's take him to the religious elites. Surely they will know because they have such great favor with God because they're such good people. Remember, this is all the whole mindset. So let's go and let's find out. Well, they take him to the Pharisees and I'll begin reading in verse number 13. And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. So the guy who was blind before, verse 14, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes and I washed and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner Why do they say he's a sinner? Because he didn't keep the Sabbath day. Why is he that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They said unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, look at this, he is a prophet. Now, it's so interesting to me how immediately they determined him guilty. You see that? They're like, he's guilty. It was, oh, it was on Sabbath day? You're not supposed to do anything. You can't even heal on the Sabbath day. And immediately they say, he is a sinner. He is a bad dude. Of course they knew who it was. He said it was Jesus. They had something against him already. And it says here that they immediately began to uh, determine he's guilty. And, uh, and then they said to him again, the question again. well, who do you think he is? He says, I think he is a prophet. Now that's a, that's a big statement there. Because he's saying, I believe there's something heavenly, there's something spiritual, there's something out of this world connected to this whole situation. Well, the Pharisees did not like the answer so they kept interrogating him. Look at verse number 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They called his mom and dad, look at that. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see his parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and he was born blind. Uh, But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. Uh, This is interesting. They they, they come here and they say, uh, you know, let's try, they're trying to disprove the whole thing. Is this your son? Yes, that's my son. Was he blind since birth? Yes, he's been blind by birth. How, How does he see now? We don't know. He's been blind. Now he sees. We have no idea. By the way, he's old enough. Why don't you ask him? Notice that there. (laughs) <laughs> why don't you ask him? And that's really all they say. Now, to me, I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity here for these parents. Why, you know, why didn't they then speak up and say, man, this Jesus healed them and I believe he's a prophet too. We notice all they do is they try to push it back on their son. They say, well, ask him. It caused me to wonder, well, why is that? Why is it that they don't make some sort of declarative statement? Why don't they say, hey, you know what? I think this is something supernatural here. I want you to see something in verse number 22. It says, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. Do you see that? They were afraid. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he, that's Jesus, was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. See, they were afraid. They were held back from actually speaking the truth because anyone who became a follower of Jesus would be put out of the synagogue. The synagogue. Now to us, we're like, okay, go find another synagogue. No, no, it didn't work that way. It didn't work that way. If somebody was removed from the synagogue, it was a community that you were now removed from. It was a social removal. It was obviously a religious removal to be a Jew and to not be able to go to the synagogue and worship. I mean, that was a huge blow. But then there's the social side of things and and the idea that so much of the social community happened there at the synagogue. Basically, you would have a difficult time finding a job. You would have a difficult time. Really, you would be, people would mock you publicly. They would attack you. I mean, it was a difficult thing. And so because of fear, the parents just said, hey, why don't you ask him? Public faith in Christ at this point had some very serious consequences. Well, the Pharisees weren't happy with what the parents had to say. So they continue the interrogation in verse number 24 down through the verse 34. After the parents said, he's of age, ask him. Then again, call they the man that was blind and said, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Now this is interesting. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, but now I see. Now that's amazing right there. He says, I don't know who this guy was. I don't know what he was about. You say he's a sinner. I don't know that I can say that. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. Then said they unto him again, what did he to thee? How opened he his eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. He says, wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? I love that right there. He says, I already told you what happened. You want me to tell you again so you can be his disciples as well? He says it to the Pharisees. I can imagine them all just going like, like, you know, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? And they reviled him. That's how you know how strong their reaction was. And said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, why uh, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, yet he hath opened my eyes. So he's saying to them, he says, you say he's a terrible guy. You say you don't know where he's from, but yet it's true. He has healed me. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? He's saying, this is unheard of what happened to me. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Then verse 34, and they answered and said unto him, thou was altogether born in sins. There's that same idea. They still say to him, you're a sinner because you were born blind. Uh, Verse 34, and dost thou teach us? They're like, you're a sinner. You're born blind. You can't teach us anything. And then look what it says at the end of the verse. And they cast him out anyway. That means they removed him from the synagogue. Like we talked about earlier, they, they got rid of him. Now this is, this is a, a crazy exchange right here. These leaders, these religious leaders are stuck at this point. Because if they say, okay, maybe Jesus is of God, it reveals their hypocrisy and the fact that they've resisted him. In verse, chapter 8 and, verse seven, and chapter 7, there's a lot of back and forth between the Pharisees and Jesus. And so then they try to make this last ditch effort to get him to uh, attack the character of Jesus Christ. Uh, they, did, I don't know if you notice in verse 24, they said, give God the praise. That's, a, that's an old way of saying like, uh, uh, ba- basically, with God as your witness, tell us the truth now. They're like, tell us what's really going on here. As God is your witness, you know, swear in the Bible, cross your heart, hope to die, you know, all that kind of stuff. Tell us the truth here. But he doesn't respond like they want him to respond. Now, here's what I want you to notice, the deceptive power of sin in these Pharisees' lives. These are people who had the truth. They had the law. They had the Old Testament. They had everything they needed to know that Jesus was who he said he was, but they completely were missing it. We would call them spiritually blind at this point. Their uh, sin and their uh, refusal, their own pride had brought confusion and, and of course spiritual ignorance to them. This man, this blind man exposed them for who they were by his simple logical answer by saying he must be of God. So if he's not of God, then he couldn't do these things. But because he is of God, then it must be something, uh, something to him. And I love verse 25 where he says, all, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. That is the testimony that he had here. He answered their questions honestly. But what I also want us to notice in verse 30 through 33 again is that I sense a lot of sarcasm in this blind man's voice as he responds to them. Uh, if you look back at those verses again, he says, uh, "He and this is a marvelous thing. He said, I don't know where he's from, but he's opened my eyes. And then in verse 31, he kind of gives their words back to them. Did you notice that? Remember before they said, if he is a sinner, he couldn't do this in verse 16. And then in verse 31, he says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. <laughs> we know he, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Remember they said he's a sinner, doesn't keep the Sabbath. So he couldn't do this thing. And he kind of puts their, their words back in their face. And then he says, you're right. Only someone who is from God could actually do this thing. So he's, he's connecting dots. He said, well, maybe he isn't really a sinner then. Maybe he is from God. And for us, we say, hey, that's a logical deduction from this whole thing. It is, this is overwhelming the evidence, but the religious leaders here continue to find reasons to ignore what is so clear. Here's what I love is God uses a blind beggar, his whole life, a blind beggar, to shame in in essence, the spiritually elite by showing them the truth. And how do they respond? How do people respond when they don't want to hear the truth? They cut them out of their life, right? They kicked them out of the synagogue. Now he's cut off religiously, he's cut off socially for stating the obvious, Jesus must have come from God. Now this reminds us of a very important truth today that I think you already know where I'm going with this, but God never promises that following him is gonna be an easy thing. Knowing the truth, having the truth, sharing the truth is not necessarily gonna be an easy life. Now there's some false teaching that's out there that says if you follow Jesus, you accept Jesus, you're gonna, man, everything's just gonna be great. Life is gonna be perfect. You'll have no problems at all whatsoever. But I don't know why, but they always forget what Jesus said in John 15, where he said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember that, that's from his own words, Jesus saying that. And yet, even though we as Christians today, and this is what I love about you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, is that even though we know this fact, even though we know that life is not easy, we know that it's gonna be difficult to follow Jesus, we all understand that following him is still worth it. Amen. You know, the difficulties of this life and this earth cannot be compared to the joy that once will be revealed to us when we reach heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. You know, Jesus is the greatest treasure, isn't he? In his presence is fullness, Of joy. That doesn't mean that it's always gonna be earthly happiness. We know that. Sometimes our faith will bring rejection, sometimes our faith will bring mistreatment. It's hard in the moments, but we should not be surprised. But I really feel for this blind man, though. I mean, the greatest thing that could ever happen to him just happened. (laughs) I mean, the thing that maybe he wished for his entire life, but now we see these religious elites just trying to bring him down after this great thing happened to him. I can imagine he was probably discouraged. You got to think about the questions, you know, he would have been asking. He hadn't talked to Jesus since this happened. He had been healed and now he's been bombarded on all sides. His parents won't stand up for him. Others won't stand up for him. Now he's been removed from the synagogue. The, probably the, pl- the place that he wanted maybe to go to the most. Being blind, he would not be allowed to go in there and wanting to go in there and experience this and now he's been banned from it and he's being attacked and he's like, the best thing in my entire life just happened to me. And, I, and now I'm, 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 I'm outcast again. I'm going to be begging again, even though I have my sight. And then we come to verse number 35. And it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Jesus heard what happened. And look at this. And when he had found him, he said unto him, dost thou believe on the son of God? I want you to see here the initiative of Jesus to go after this man. Jesus without any prompting, had come to him and had reached out to him and had healed him. We don't, there's no record of this man saying, Jesus, would you heal me at all? Jesus of his own volition went to him and reached out to him. He sought him out. He gave him uh, his, his physical sight. But now after this whole thing is done, Jesus goes to him to make sure that he has his spiritual sight clear. Before people can receive spiritual sight, this is an important truth, they must first of all, of all acknowledge that they need it. <laughs> They must first of all acknowledge that they need it. And Jesus pointed that out to him when he came to him and he said, do you believe on the son of God? Now that phrase where he says, do you believe, thus thou believe, he's pointing out to him, he's saying, do you have faith in, in himself is what he's talking about. Do you have faith in me? Do you have faith? What does it mean to have faith in God? It means, it means a removal of faith in yourself. So he's saying to him, Do you, have you left behind faith in yourself? Have you left behind your own uh, strength? Do you recognize that you need a savior? Do you realize that you're not going to uh, receive heaven or, a, or uh, achieve eternal life through anything that you've done on your own? Are you willing to trust in the son of God? Are you willing to trust in me alone to save you? And then in verse 36, he answers. He answers and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? He's still not quite connecting the dots. And then Jesus says unto him, thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. That's a great way of saying, uh, you've seen him and I'm right in front of you. I'm right here. I, I am the one. Look what he says in verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. I love that. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I don't know if there's a better example of saving faith in scripture here. This man had received his physical sight, yes, which was a miracle. But his believing unto salvation came about as he thought on the power that gave him his sight. And what he was saying to him about that power. And so when he was confronted with that opportunity to believe. And he says, you need to believe. There's an act of faith that needs to take place here. When that, he was confronted with it, he responded from the heart. And I love what he says there. I believe and he worshiped then. Man, that's a recognition of what he had just experienced, what was happening. We continue in verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see might see. I'm sorry, that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Now I like this. (laughs) They heard what was going on. They heard what he said and they came to him and said, Hey, you think we're blind? Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. That's a, great, that's a great thought there. He says, you come in here. I don't know if Jesus said you come all up in here. But he says, you come in here and you say that, oh, we're, we don't have any sin. He said you're blind. You're blind. These are pretty sobering uh, words here to these Pharisees. You know, These Pharisees thought that they had it all figured out. They were religious. They were faithful to the synagogue. They gave money to blind people like this guy. (laughs) They did all of these things, but they never understood that they were in need of salvation. They thought that they were too good for that. And so they remained in their blindness. They rejected the light of the world, even when it was right in front of them because they lived in. And in fact, we know they loved the darkness that they were in. They were so blind spiritually to what was going on. Uh, an author named John Hughes, uh, commentator on scripture, he said this about this passage. He said, those who are blind are the ones who do not realize their need. Those who receive sight are the ones who sense their darkness. That's, a, that's such a great thought. So the Pharisees thought they had it all together that they had arrived. Through their acquaintance with the law, they knew they were not perfect, but they did not understand how deeply infected they were with sin. So they adopted the external appearance of having dealt with sin though actually they had never faced the darkness of their hearts. They were self-satisfied. They said, we see when in reality, they were blind. You know, one of the great promises that God made to his people in Isaiah chapter 42 was that he was going to send a savior to help those that were seeking. Those that uh, were desperate Isaiah 42, verse 6, he said, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light. To, of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. That was a prophecy made hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus saying, there's somebody who's gonna come and, and open the eyes. It's gonna take people out of the darkness. It's gonna be the light to all. He knows how he included the Gentiles, which to them would have meant the entire world. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. These people were in darkness, but the Messiah came to give them light. Came to give them light. And here's the great thing for us, he is still the answer to the darkness of the world today. As much as he opened this man's eyes, this guy didn't ask for anything. He had never known anything else except for darkness and Jesus gave him sight, he gave him light. And and for so many people in our world today that are in darkness, they may not even know that they are in darkness. They think that they've got everything sorted out. They think that uh, how they're living life and how they're approaching life's difficulties is totally good. You know, like, like Jonah mentioned, you know, someone he was talking to that uh, they were just like, you know what, I'm okay in this, in this darkness. I'm basically is what they're saying. I'm okay to sort of live in life like I am. I've talked to people and they say, I'm, I'm okay just being a, a good person. I'm okay just uh, doing these kind of things. And, and yet Jesus is the answer that they need. Now here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world. He said it multiple occasions. John, in the book of John itself, it calls him the light 22 different times throughout the whole book of John. I mean, this is a focus for John. But here's the amazing thing. As Christians, we are also called the light of the world. Did you know that? We got to remember that. Matthew 5, 14 says, ye are the light of the world. Jesus said that. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Ephesians 5.8 says for ye were sometimes darkness but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jesus is the light of the world. As his followers, we are also to be the light of the world. We're his representatives. We are the ones who are to be walking as children of light. And I'll say this, we're to be the ones who are going to those who are in darkness. See, Jesus isn't, he's not here anymore. <laughs> he said that even, he said, I, I, he said my, the night's coming. He said, I'm not gonna always be here, but I'm leaving you as my representatives. I'm leaving you behind. I'm giving you a, a purpose. Not to spit in mud (laughs) and create paste and go around, you know, healing other people. But we're to reveal to those in spiritual darkness the light of the world, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you guys remember what it was like to be in darkness. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like to be in spiritual darkness? For those of you that are saved, I think it's good sometimes to remember what it was like. To remember how we just sort of stumbled through life not knowing what was going on. And I hope you also remember how Jesus healed your heart. See, that's that's what we should have a desire for for those that do not know Christ. We should desire that exact same thing for them. Jesus is the light of the world. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning just for a a time of reflection. And um, I just wanna ask a few questions like we do each week and give us a time and some space to pray. I think it would be good for some of us maybe to be like that blind man and just remember what he's done for us for a moment and then worship him. Maybe right now is just a moment for you to sit and to pray and to just say, man, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for showing me the light. Thank you for giving me a path to follow. Thank you for, Lord, illuminating my heart to my sin and allowing me to find you. It could be that some of you need to just ask God and say, Lord, help me to walk as a representative of your light. Maybe ask yourself the question, how can I be a light for Christ this week? Who can I reach out to? Who who can I reflect Christ to this week? It could be that maybe some of you are still blind yourself. You're walking in darkness. Maybe you're uh, watching online or you're here today and you're just, and and you, you still are, you're like those Pharisees that are just so caught up in Um, the things that they're doing, they're so caught up in, I'm a good person, I've done these good things. Therefore, I must be okay. But in fact, they're missing the point. They had never, their hearts were still in darkness. They had never put their faith. They never, like this blind man, when Jesus came to him, they never have believed on the son of God. They have not put their faith complete and total in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Maybe you need the light today. I would encourage you to make that decision and ask God and say, God, Would you forgive me of my sin? Lord, I believe that you in fact are the perfect sacrifice, the perfect redeemer. You're the one that I need. And I repent of my sin. I repent of my self-sufficiency and I put my faith and my trust in you completely and totally for my salvation. Jesus promises us that if we seek him, we'll find him. We also know that he seeks us and comes after us. And I would hope that if you are in darkness in your own heart that you would find the light of the world today. Maybe there's somebody that you're thinking about right now that you need to share Christ with and you have been putting it off. Can I encourage you today to put yourself out there? You say, ah, it's probably not gonna go that well. Man, it didn't go that well for this family or for this blind man, did it? But you know what? The difficulties, as we read about in Romans, the difficulties of this life, the struggles of this life are nothing in comparison to the glories of heaven and eternity and what we're going to experience.
0: Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account at Baptist, And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message from our new series, I Am. We love you. We're praying for you. And we're here for you.